Norman, would you pray for TFF and then pray for our time in the Word? Father God, thank you so much for, for this church, Father God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would add to the numbers of those who have been saved, Father God. I pray for this time together, Lord Jesus. I pray that we will hear from you directly, Father God. I pray that you use my brother, Father God, that he will be your mouth, Lord God, and that he will speak truth to us, Father God. He continue to be bold and courageous, Father God. And Lord Jesus, we ask you this morning, Father God, that we will not just be here of the word of God, but that we will be doers, Father God, that we will walk habitually with the Spirit, Father God, that we will not gratify the desire of the flesh, Father God. We ask you this morning, Father God, that we will be bold and courageous, that we will do exactly what you call us to do, to be your ambassador, your people, your chosen generation for such a time as this, my God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will be the people that you call us to be, that we will spread the gospel, that we will spread the love of Christ, my God, that people will know that we are belong to the one, to the only one, to the true God and only God, Father God, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Our Lord, my God. So, Lord, we ask you this morning, come, Lord Jesus, come. We ask God that you will return for your church, for your people. But in the meantime, as we're waiting for your return, Father God, help us to be the light of the world. Help us to be the salt. Help us to be the people that you call us to be, Lord God, your ambassador. So, we thank you in advance. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 And, Carrie, if anyone else joins, if there's the sound issue with the music, you can just chat and let them know.
Amen. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. I just want more. I just want
will never disappoint us. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus. I pray that we've been reading through Psalm 136 and as we continue to be reminded through that psalm that it's your love that endures forever. Father, there's none like you. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Father, you are holy, holy, holy. And we thank you, God, that you are pleased to reveal yourself to us through your Son, Jesus. That, Father, it's your desire that none shall perish, that all would come to the saving knowledge of the Messiah, your Son, Jesus, the resurrected King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the life giver, our deliverer, our comforter, our way maker, our peace. We thank you for that, Lord. And so, Father, bless our time today, God, I pray. Bless the reading of your word. I pray that our hearts of good soil to receive God and that it would take root and bear fruit, lasting fruit in our lives. No greater love than this has been displayed that a man will lay down his life for his friend. Father, you laid your life down for us. You took our punishment that we may be reconciled to God. As Romans 5, 1 declares, now therefore those who are in Christ are now at peace with God through Jesus Christ. Lord, you are the only way to be reconciled to the Father. So thank you, Lord, for your great love to reveal that to us. Creatures who are in complete rebellion towards you, but yet you loved us to pay the price that we may be reconciled back to you and for eternity be with you. Oh, God. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Community. Two definitions I've been holding out before us. Number one, a group of people living in the same place are having a particular characteristic in common. And then number two, a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. Community. Jesus, as I've been encouraging us, is the center of the Christian community. There's multiple communities throughout the earth, but it's the Christian community that has been set apart as God's people to represent Him in the earth. You see, we are ambassadors of Christ. I want you to think of that word. 
we're called, all of us, if, if we are in Christ, if we have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, if we have nailed our old selves to his cross and we've crucified it there, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ living in and through me. Then we are to call to go forth. All of us are called to go forth to be his ambassadors, to be his representative. To go forth as he did, humbled, and to serve others, and to love others, and to encourage others. To mind our speech, to guard our thoughts. You know, when the Bible says, take every thought captive, and it's something I've encouraged you throughout the years, is learn that discipline. Because as you think, so you go. And so in this day and age, as I, as I have been encouraging us, that we can't keep doing church the way we've done church because the earth has shifted. We're living in incredible times. And yet, though, it may seem like it's getting darker. Again, the church should be getting brighter. We should be burning brighter because we understand we're discerning the times. At any moment, Jesus can return. And how's he going to find us? Faithful or fearful? Oh, how I pray that he finds us faithful. That fear is not ruling us. Fear is not controlling us. Because fear is nothing but false evidence appearing real. But faith, we're called to faith in Christ. Not faith in ourselves, not what we can accomplish, but faith in Christ and what he has accomplished. And so as a community, we come together to encourage, to edify each other, to build each other up so that as we go forth throughout our weeks in these other communities, that we are representing Christ. We don't hate them. No matter what the community is, we're not hating them. We love them because he first loved us. And so we are only giving back what we've received. And that's important for us to understand. Last couple weeks I've been talking about the soul and how important it is that you understand the worth and the value of your soul. And do you give thought to your soul as you're going about your day? Because you ought to. You ought to be caring about your soul and not just your soul, but you should be caring about the worth of of other souls. <laughs> and when you understand the value of the soul, you live differently. You're not longing like those who have no value or worth. See, when you're redeemed, when you're in relationship with Jesus, you understand, first and foremost, who He is and what He's accomplished for you. And so again, it's not a forced conversion. No, it's a sweetly brokenness. You're sweetly broken. You, you humbly submit yourself. Again, not because you're forced, because you understand the value and the worth of Christ and what he accomplished through the cross. God was pleased to reveal himself to us through his son Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so we should give thought about our souls. We should think about 
our souls and, and that which our soul is longing for. Your soul should be longing for more of Christ. And it's like that second worship song where she's just pleading, God, I just want more of you, more of you. You see, because we're never going to arrive. We're not going to be perfected until we're with him. So this is a life of just continual maturing, continual maturing. And in the Christian community, again, we're, we're, we're fanning the flame. <laughs> we're encouraging each other. Like, get out there and live for Christ. Reflect Christ. Be his ambassador. Because, again, we understand what's waging war against us. The enemy. <laughs> that realm that Ephesians 6 talks about. The world, the systems of the world. And then your own very nature, the flesh, that old nature. That Galatian tells us we are at war. The spirit and the flesh, they are at war within us. And so you have got to decide each and every single day whom you belong to. Christ or self. And oh, how I pray you're choosing Christ. Oh, how I pray when you see that old nature rise up that you do not give it an allowance. You don't give it room. You don't justify your actions and says, well, that's just who I am and what I am. No, that's who you were. That's how you used to think. That's how you used to speak. That used to be your desires. This is what you were before. You're dead to that. Because you've seen your need for a Savior. Again, God is not the problem. He's not the one in error. It's the created. We're told we are at war with God. We're at war with Him. In and of ourselves, in our old nature, that's what we are. No matter how godly we think we are. The old nature doesn't mind a little religion <laughs> because it boasts itself up in what it's maintaining. But the new nature in Christ is a life submitted. And there's a difference. And people ought to look at the community, at Christians, and say there's something different about you. What is it? What is it? And then right away, you don't need a theological education. You can simply tell them what Jesus has done in your life. No one can take that from you. No one can take that. Childlike faith. You come to the Father with simple understanding. I'm a sinner. I'm living against God. But God is so gracious and God is so loving and God is so kind that he was pleased to reveal himself to me, a wretched sinner, one in rebellion towards him, but yet he loved me enough to reveal himself to me through his son, who gave his life for me, who took my punishment and on the third day rose again. And because of that resurrection, because he was resurrected from the dead, the sin that I used to be so easily entangled with, that rebellious nature that usually would drive me no longer has power over me. So that's the difference you're seeing in me. 
simple. They may get upset. They may look at you like you're a nut or they may be like, wow, like I see it. You see, in and of ourselves, we know how we would live. But in Christ, the question is, do you know how you ought to be living? And that's the question for the church in this generation. Because there's a false gospel running amok throughout the earth. It always has been since the beginning. The enemy has always and will continue until the day Christ returns to make you think God is holding back from you. Did God really say, what's God keeping from you? You give thought to that and that will drive you to search for other things to become your God. And that's not how the community of Christians ought to be living. And it's about time that we get real with ourselves and recognize what's in me that is holding me back from all that God has for me. What am I finding to be more valuable than Christ? Because there's no one, there's nothing that is. Everything again in this temporal world is fading away. Everything. But Christ is eternal. Christ is eternal. So when you set your day, when your eyes wake up, and it doesn't matter what you're facing, it doesn't matter your circumstances, He's still Christ. He's still Lord. He's still on the throne. And so we don't put hope in our circumstances. No, our hope is in Christ. He's unchangeable. He's not man that He should lie. Again, he's the center of our community. Yesterday I sat and I was listening through just testimonies after testimonies, the ministry that I served with all last week. They had a huge staff conference. And so yesterday, all day, I was able to listen to a lot of the sessions and the testimonies that I were hearing. I was just like, oh my goodness, I've never cried so much in a day. I never, I mean, it was so beautiful to hear throughout the earth what God is doing. And how God is reaching people. And I just kept sitting there as testimony after testimony. I'm just like, God, how could I have lived as long as I lived at war with you? How could I have lived as long as I lived and said that there was no God? Like, wow, God. You know, it was this young girl from Puerto Rico. She shared her testimony. How she was, she was, you know, she was a young girl. She found her worth in getting good grades and, you know, she, she wanted to, to be something and someone and her mother and her relationship got really warped and she started having, harboring a lot of bitterness towards her mother. She, she ended up having to get a job and so from the job and school that her grades began to suffer and all of a sudden everything that she put her worth in was no longer her worth. She was failing. She couldn't catch up. And what's the worth of going on then, she thought. So she had planned to kill herself that day. <laughs> the time that she was about to take her life, her phone rung. And it was her friend. And he was like, hey, I'm going to this conference. You know, why don't you come with me? 
And she said she didn't know why she accepted the offer, but she went. And it happened to be this conference that the gospel was being preached. She said, for the first time, for the first time I heard something of value, of worth. And I was like, wow, God. And it's changed her life. It's changed her life. God stepped in that day and rescued her out of darkness. Rescued out of darkness. Listen to a testimony from a man yesterday. Drug user. Street living. And back in the 70s, he went to this diner to rob it. And the young girl, the door was locked and the young girl was counting the cash on one of the tables and he went to the door, knocked on the door. And he pulled out the gun and she went to slam the door and he shot her, killed her. As he was going down the street, he felt this weight of conviction. So he went straight to the police station and turned himself in. Sentence for life. While he was in prison, he got caught with drugs. So they put him in the depths of the prison. There was a term that he used, but I don't remember the term. And he said while he was in there, and it's basically like solitary confinement, but it was another term he used. But there he was spending days by himself. He said he finally was on his knees one night and he said, God, if you're real. God, if you're real. And all of a sudden he said that place began to be filled with a presence and a peace that he has never experienced before in his life. And he knew in that moment that he was in the presence of Jesus. And he surrendered his life there to this God that he was at war with, to this God that he thought, all that I've done, all that I've committed, how could you love me? Well, he ends up getting out of there. He ends up, the warden starts to hear how well he's doing. He ends up giving him three days out, three days in, and then from there, doors, he knew he had to get to the chapel, and from there, all of a sudden, all these years pass, and he's finally been released. And how's he serving his life? Serving God. Building communities within prisons. (laughs) Loving God, serving God, giving these men and women hope that their life's not over. I heard testimony of this husband and wife from Ecuador. It was a very abusive relationship on both parts. They hated each other. They had three kids. Their marriage was over. And then her brother called her as she was walking out the door one night and said, hey, you know, would you come to this church service with me. And she says, I hated my brother. I don't even know why I responded to him. I don't know why I didn't go off on him. But I went. 
And she said she gave her life to the Lord that night. And she couldn't think of anything else but that she knew that there was something happening within her. About like a week or two later, he called her again and said, hey, why don't you, you and so-and-so come to this marriage conference? And she was like, man, we don't have a marriage. And he said to her, but why don't you give him the same opportunity you had to know God and for God to reach him? And so they go to this marriage conference and God showed up. And this man was sharing, then the, the guy, the husband began to share. And man, he was just being so honest and, and so transparent of the type of man that he was. And he said, but something happened at that conference that Jesus stepped in and revealed himself. And now they travel all around the world sharing the gospel. And I'm like, God. You see, that's what happens. Your life is changed because of Jesus. If you have had an encounter with Jesus, there ought to be transformation. See, that's what we have in common when we talk about community. That's the standard in which we raise up, not man's standard, but God's standard. There is a way in which we're called to live. And we understand the, the value that we have in Christ. The hope that we have in Christ. The love for Christ. It's, it's your, your Christian walk and your Christian life is not to be this burdensome life. No, the weight has been lifted. And you say, but I'm still going through. Well, keep going through. Because no one's told you you're not going to go through. In fact, Jesus tells you, in this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've already, I have already overcame the world, he says. I mean, these are scriptures. These are truths. And that's why it's vital that you're growing and you're maturing as a Christian. That you're part of fellowship. That you're being discipled so that you can go out there and you can live it. That in and of yourself, you can go forth and you can declare the glory of the Lord. And that you can say, His love endures forever. Forever. And so I want to encourage you with some scriptures. 1 Corinthians. Again, these are scriptures that we're hearing over and over throughout this year in hopes to provoke a desire for community, a greater level of community than maybe what we have been living in. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul writes here to the church in Corinth. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no division in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And again, when I, I love the Bible. <laughs> but when I think of the Corinth church, this was a dirty city, you all. This was a very sexual, perverted, I mean, it was something else. And yet God sent forth Paul 
and establish a church. These, these temple prostitutes, the, these homosexuals, these backbiters, these gossipers, these murderers, these people causing divisions, all of that were being saved. And they were coming to Christ. They were learning to live in a community of believers now. They were learning to, to die to their old selves. They were understanding the call of a disciple to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Him. You're a new creation. You have been born again of a new nature. And so He tells them, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. When He heard, there was division running them up. By the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no division in the church. Rather, and this is important, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And that's the important. To be united. To to hold on to that. No matter how one may rub you wrong or may not greet you right, (laughs) but to remain united And that when we see that the enemy is trying to get a foothold in, we slam the door shut and we say, oh no, I'm not going to think that way. I'm not going to react that way. No, God, you're about reconciliation. So God, first start with me. Just maybe it's me. And if I search my heart, it's not me, it's you. Well, then I ought to love you enough to come to you and let you know. Like, hey, if I offended you or if something's going on, can, can we just address this? Because let's be of one thought, one purpose. How can I come alongside you? You see, we have to protect what we've been given. Because again, we understand the all-out war. The all-out war that's being waged against your soul. And against the church. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. And the hope that we have in Christ to live. To live. Listen, every other community has a right to live how they want to live. We are not out in our own strength to transform or force anyone to live like us. And that's what I said the error that the church has been doing throughout the years is we're demanding others to live like they're Christians. We do more, and and we preach more of the Christian life than we do the gospel. But we understand, if you read your word, that the lost, they don't understand how to live righteously, but yet we're putting that demand on them. They have no understanding of that. So we're not to be out demanding they live the Christian life or telling them to live a Christian life. No, we're out to share the gospel. And when they respond to the gospel, when they respond to Christ, when they recognize that they're a sinner and they receive Christ, then we come in. And not in an overbearing way, but in a way that they understand what the Word of God says. They are to be baptized. They are to be discipled. 
so that they can understand and obey all that he has commanded. And again, it's not burdensome. It's freeing. It's freeing. You know, I've always said, before I came to Christ, I hated the church. I hated Jesus. I saw no power in Christian in a Christian's life. All I heard was a lot of talk. But there was no power. There was no difference. All I heard was how bad I was and how good they are, but yet I knew their life. They were no different than me. They may not have been doing what I was doing, but they weren't good people. They had more issues maybe than even myself. And yet, they're demanding me to live differently. Oh, when I came to Christ and I recognized, no, wait a minute. You love me, even though I was a complete rebellion towards you. And when I recognized that in and of myself, I could not fix myself. I could not fix myself. I couldn't cause the transformation. Only Christ can do that. And he was pleased to do it. When I realized I didn't have to, to, to crawl and beg and plead with him. No, he freely gives. The Bible says if you seek him, you will find him. If you seek him with your whole heart. With your whole heart. And so again, we're offering the gospel to people. We're not demanding them to clean their lives up. It's the gospel. It's the power that saves people. The Holy Spirit would do his job. He's the one that draws us. He's the one that brings us. The Bible says that God starts this work in us. And he is faithful to begin it. And once we're in, once, once we have all that we need, because again, if you're a Christian, the Bible tells you God has given you everything you need to live, to live a godly life. You're not lacking because he's holding back. If you're lacking, it's because you're not seeking. You're finding other things in this temporal world that is more valuable than the newness of life that you've been given. Go to 1 John. 1 John, chapter 1. First John 1, verse 7 through 17. I'm sorry, it's First John 1, verse 7 through chapter 2, verse 17. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. 
If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandment, that person is a liar, and is not living in truth. But those who obey God's word truly show, oh Lord, hear that, but those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. There's your standard. You can make all the excuses that you want. But the Bible is very clear. You're lying to yourself. You're not living in truth. You see, it's not saying that you won't sin, but when you do, you don't remain in it. That's the difference between a Christian and an unbeliever. Unbelievers are enslaved to sin. They're mastered by sin. Christians were not. Doesn't mean we won't sin, but when we do, we have the conviction of the Holy Spirit quickly to say, oh, God, what am I doing? We don't make excuses for it, and we don't allow it to remain a pattern for years in our life. If sin is still dominating you, and it's a pattern, you haven't repented. You have not seen the sorrow that it brings God. And so you're not living in the light. You're bound by the darkness. But hear the freeing message of this. Some people will just stop there at verse 6 and says, Well, I, I'm not Jesus. I can't live like Jesus. And they don't understand the fullness of what Scripture is encouraging them. In and of, in and of yourselves, you can't. But don't forget, if you are truly a believer, you have received God in you, the Spirit of God in you. <laughs> to live out the newness of life. And that's why I've said before, like when I became a Christian you didn't have to tell me I needed a Bible. You didn't have to tell me I needed to be in church. You didn't have to tell me, oh, you need to pray. You didn't have to tell me, no, it was something within me that just I just started hungering. I never hungered before for it, but all of a sudden I knew where I needed to be. <laughs> because I was in Christ. I'm a new creation. I knew where I would go in my old nature. I knew what I would do. But who am I now? Who are you now? And so hear that. That is how we know we are living in Him. This is how you know you are living in Him. You obey God's Word and you truly show how completely you love Him. He goes on, Verse 7 of chapter 2. Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one. You have had from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you've heard before. Yet it is also new. 
Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living in it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. If anyone claims, I'm living in the light, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves another brother or sister is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates another brother or sister is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. Has that weight been lifted off of you? Again, when I was listening to these testimonies yesterday, I mean, if you would just see these people's countenance, when you understand, and they kept using this kind of the same thing, the shame, the guilt, I knew the person I was, but there was something about Christ when he stepped in, all of a sudden that was lifted off of me. That's forgiveness. You're not carrying around. You're not burdened by the shame and the guilt and the condemnation. That old nature is gone in Christ. If that's how God sees you because of Christ, not because of you, but because of Christ, because through Christ you've been forgiven, then that's how you ought to be living, as one who has been forgiven. And just as you have freely received, you freely give. I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in the faith. Listen to that. Because you have, you have won your battle with the evil one. I'm written, I have written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I have written to you who are mature in faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you won your battle with the evil one. So, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. This is what the Christ, the, the Christian community is to be in agreement on. These are the, this is the word of God. This is our mirror. We look intently into it. And when we close it up and turn from, we don't forget who we are. That's why James says you have to be a hearer of the word and not just a doer. It's vital. Go to 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 5. And again, I would encourage you all, as you're going through these scriptures, to sit down with them throughout the week. Pray through them. If you have questions on them, you know, reach out. I've got to sit a day and just... 
fumble through all these pages so they don't stick together anymore. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 through 22. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Talk about those in the church. <laughs> Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak and be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies. But test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Again, this is how you are to be living. This is how we collectively are to be living. These, these aren't just suggestions. This is how you're to be living now. I can't go out there and share the gospel with people and call myself an ambassador of Christ and not reflect Him. We can't just go out there and and, and, and give people the, the principles of the kingdom, but not introduce them to the king. You see, again, the Christian life is a transformed life, but there's a lot of people out there claiming to be Christians, and there's no transformation. There's no Christ in them, but yet they're trying to claim all that there is, and yet live apart from him. And somehow believe, because they've been deceived and they've convinced themselves that they're in. And that's why at the end, when they stand before Jesus, he's going to say, I don't know you. I mean, that scripture is so sobering when you read it. But didn't I go to church and didn't I do this and didn't I give to the poor and didn't I do this and this and this and this? And he says, but I don't know you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity, you lawbreaker, you sinner. He sees you for who you are. You haven't been forgiven. No matter how good and righteous you thought you are, you have puffed yourself up into thinking, I'm in and I'm safe and I can keep doing whatever I want, living however I want. And that's not the standard of God. It hasn't been from the beginning, and it'll never change. And so the reality is, is that we ought to be a community of people throughout the earth that people look at and say there's something different. They are a peculiar people. They are an odd people. They're set apart. 
They don't act like us. They don't think like us. They're not moving like us. What is it about them? It's Jesus. It's this work of Christ in us as he's transforming us. Again, your goal isn't perfection. Your goal is maturing. Daily laying things down. allowing, Allowing him to have full access to your heart. You don't want to keep clinging to what's behind. You want to press into what's ahead. Finally, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Living the new life. Verses 1 through 17. Since you, who? You. Put your name there. If you're a Christian, since you have been raised to new life. You see, again, in the beginning, when I kept reading Scripture, I was like, this is, it's a new life. Like, I'm not beating myself up of who I was. I didn't care if people were looking at me or saying things about me. I couldn't care less. I was a new creation. I believe. Because that's all I kept saying, seeing all through the Bible, all through the letters to the churches. You, you want to know how you ought to be living? Start in Acts and read through Jude. It gives you a, a, a picture of the church, a picture of the Christian life. You are a new creation. So since you, who, you, have been raised to new life with Christ. Not with a denomination, not with a church, but with Christ. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. (laughs) So, with this understanding, look at the next, next verse. So, put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Who puts it to death? You put it to death. Why? How? Through Christ. Not through this, the weird things that we try. But through Christ. Have nothing to do with sexual morality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater. Worshipping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. And let's not miss out on that. God's wrath is stored up. It doesn't matter what the false preachers and the false gospels are telling people, that God is at peace with his people, his creation. No, God's only at peace with those who belong to him. Remember, we we exposed the lie a couple weeks ago that everyone thinks everyone is God's child. That's not true. Everyone is made in the image of God, but you are not a child of God until you have received Christ, 
you've received the Holy Spirit, and the, whole, the Bible says it's then you are then given the right, you have been adopted into his family, and you've been given the right to call him Daddy. But God's wrath is stored up. There's a time, there's a, an hour, there's a moment when it is going to hit this earth. And the people that are not in Christ are going to be swallowed up by it. So when we give ourselves over to these things, do you see that? When we... All the things I've just listed there, he says, because of these sins, because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. That's why we don't keep tiptoeing in it. Can I get away with just this much? Uh, can I allow this thought just to keep lingering? No, no, no. You got to realize, oh no, wait a minute. I am a new creation. Christ is my king. He is my Lord. And so I should not continue to be a liar or a manipulator or a deceiver or trying to control everything. I shouldn't give in to my lust and my desires. I shouldn't backbite. I shouldn't gossip. I, I shouldn't slander. I shouldn't be pursuing this, this, this earth. <laughs> no. I'm to, be, I'm to be pursuing Christ. And I love verse 7. Some of us just need to sit in verse 7 this week. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. You see, Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since God chose who? You. You didn't choose God. He chose you. So since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, Oh, hear this. <laughs> and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Everything you do. And you can listen to these scriptures and you can go, there's no way. 
I know me. I know I'm gonna how, how I'm gonna act tomorrow. <laughs> I know I'm gonna how I'm gonna act in an hour or two when I have to go do this or see this person. <laughs> and that's just an excuse you're making. You see, when you're in Christ and the light of Christ shines on that ugliness of your heart, you say, God, I can't, but you can. God, teach me. I've been thinking a lot about my dad over the past couple of weeks. him. There were times in my life I just hated him. I remember I was young. He was right after he left and got remarried. And I wrote him a letter. And I told him how much I hated him. And I told him how he wasn't my dad and that and if I died I didn't want him to come to my funeral. Because if he did come to my funeral... For him not to pretend that he was my father. No, I wanted him to know that in my heart, even though I was dead, I only know him as a stranger. And I was working at this deli at this time, and about a week or so later, after I mailed it off, I was at, I was at the counter, and I looked up, and he was standing there. I turned him away. Big scene, and well, nothing to do with him. And so I existed the majority of my life with that. Like, whatever. Maybe I saw him here and there if he came down, but it was just coldness. It was just a deadness to him. But I remember after coming to the Lord and wanting to go visit him, and he drove me up there, and him and I were sitting at the table that, that evening, and... I said, Dad, I'm not expecting anything from you. But I wanted to tell you that I forgive you. And that Jesus changed my life. And I remember him and I just weeping there. And then just over the years, what God did in our relationship. Like if you would have seen my dad and I over these past years, like you would have thought him and I have the closest relationship our entire time together. God did such a healing there. One day he grabbed my hand as I was getting up from the sofa. He said, Robbie, would you pray for me? He says, son, you love me like I've never been loved before. And that was such a beautiful moment in his living room. I'm like, wow, God. You see, in and of myself, 
I couldn't do that. But because of Christ. Because what was it, what is it to hold stuff against people? Yes, you need to have healthy boundaries. Yes, this and that. But when God is moving and God is working, like God is a God that reconciles and there's something so beautiful about Scripture. I was holding his past against him. But yet God wanted to free him. I don't know who you need to be reconciled with or what issues of the heart that God needs to to work in you to be released by whatever has been caused back here that you keep conforming to because that's not what you're to conform to any longer. You're to conform to Christ and the wholeness and the healing that he brings. Like when you look out in the earth today, you look around today, there's so many broken families. There's so many broken people. There's so many lost, empty, lonely people. There's people who's conjured up things in their head and they don't even live in the right reality. (laughs) But we're the Christian community. (laughs) And we're to be out there making a difference. We're to get up each day and know that there's a value. There's a worth that is found in Christ that broken people need so that healing can take place. The enemy is working overtime. The world system is working overtime. The flesh is working overtime to destroy families, to destroy individuals. But Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Peace I give you. And don't forget that word peace, what it means in its original word, wholeness. Nothing missing, nothing broken. And so you can choose this day to go forward to live in peace. I'm not broken any longer. I'm not wounded any longer. My past does not define me. I will not allow other people's past to define them because I'm seeing them through the lenses of Christ. I'm not going to look at other communities and and, and define them by their past. No, I'm going to see them through Christ. And Christ, how can I love and how can I serve? You know, when we heard that one last worship song, Oceans, and it says, call me deeper. Let me go to places I, I would have never imagined finding myself. But God, for you, I'll go. I'll go. Because again, our lives are not our own. When I look at the youth today and what they are enduring and how we need to be the people of God, to, to, to the youth in our lives, the youth in our communities, the people that we just come across to be able to live it out. Because if you're not living it out, then what are they seeing? They see nothing different in Christ as with any other false god in this earth. <laughs> Jesus is not a false God. He's God. Which brings me to Psalm 136. (laughs) We read it last week. The psalmist penned it. (laughs) And he gave a description of what God has done. What God has walked 
him through, what God has walked Israel through. <laughs> and after each statement, he says, his love endures forever. And so I challenge you to go this week and to write this psalm and to come back and share it. And if you didn't do it this week, then how about you have it another week? <laughs> Go, write it out. You're not doing it to impress me. You're not doing it to impress others. You're doing it for yourself. Because you're going to want to pull it out in seasons that are going to come up in your life. You're going to want to reflect on it and go, no, this is who God is. The enemy can taunt me all he wants. The world can come at me all at once. And my flesh can be and try to drive me whatever it wants. But I will remind them of who God is. And so as we are about to go into our time to hear your personal Psalm 136, before we do, I want this song to be played over us and then we'll start hearing from those who have pinned. Keep me in the valley. Keep me in the valley. Hide me from the rain. 
that's all that Psalms 136 reminds us of. How awesome our God is. And so, who would like to go first? If anyone has them. Sherry? Yep, just read it. Okay, yep. now mind you, I could have went on until next Sunday. I know, but come down, on. But yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, do I just say like I'm thankful? Yeah, however, but however you want. I'm thankful for my salvation. His love endures forever. Amen. I'm thankful for His love, mercy, and grace, but most of all His forgiveness when I fall short of the glory of Him. Mm. I'm thankful for the restoration in my family. His love endures forever. Hallelujah. Thankful for the protection of my children and my grandchildren. His love endures forever. Yes. For that, for giving us a home. Mm. His love endures forever. Hallelujah. For him blessing William and I with our apartment. His love endures forever. For giving me strength to get through the death of my mother. His love endures forever. For him going before me and the storms that face and make the victorious outcomes, his love endures forever. For the healing of the sicknesses that my friends and family, that my friends and family have had, his love endures forever. Yes. For William's scholarship going through, his love endures forever. For my brother for giving us the word, his love endures forever. For my church family and friends, his love endures forever. For Christian music, which touches my soul daily, his love endured forever. For teaching me not to, for teaching me to say no to things that do not bring me peace, his love endured forever. For every every trial I go through, because it only makes me stronger and helps me grow in my faith and walk with him, his love endured forever. Hallelujah. Amen. And for letting me read that by myself. Yes. His love endures forever. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? I, I, can, I, I can't hear, but I can read mine. I don't know if anybody else has any. Yeah, go ahead. Thanks to the Lord for He appointed 
even in their disobedience. His faithful love endures forever. You have kept my life. His faithful love endures forever. For all the things he has done and will do, his faithful love endures forever. Amen. 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 This is what gets you through the day. This is what gets us through our days as a community. Is to be reminded of how great God is. How great God is. And so I would encourage you, if you haven't written out your own personal Psalm 136, and this is an ongoing process. This is something I do throughout the years I've served Christ. There's times I just sit down and I just write out my own, again, another personal Psalm 136, to be reminded of His faithfulness. How good He is, you all. This will get you through. This will get you through. We look so much on ourselves, but we've got to get our eyes off of ourselves. Our self is just in rebellion towards God. If we would just fix our eyes upon our Creator <laughs> and know how much He loves us, all that He's done for us, we're only here just for a brief moment in time. But then we'll be with him for eternity. He's with us now, but we will be in with him. Like he's coming back for us. You know? He, did, he hasn't abandoned us. He's called us out of darkness. He has transformed us into his kingdom of light. And he's kept us here to bear image of him. So I just want to encourage you all. You have so much to share with others out there. Live your life before them. Not a perfect life. They're going to see you fail. But let them see you restored. Let them see the power of God in you and through you. Be quick to reconcile with God and with others. Be quick to to have a listening ear. Sometimes to have an encouraging word. Sometimes just to reach out and touch and comfort people. See, we're no different than them. We know what it was like. But now we have Christ. And so there is a difference. Because we would be right where they are apart from Christ. And so we don't consider ourselves better than. No, we want to offer the good news, the gospel, so that they would hear. The Heidelberg Catechism, part two, deliverance. We're studying on God, the Holy Spirit's Lord's Day 21. We got three questions here. Part, I mean, question 54. What do you believe concerning the Holy Church? Well, the answer, I believe that the Son of God, through His Spirit and Word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, preserves for Himself, oh Lord, hear this, a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. And as this community... I am and I always will be a living member. Well, if you've never 
gone back and, and studied these, this catechism, would you go back and just study 54, go look up all these scriptures that deals with the understanding of the Holy Church? What do you believe about the church? I mean, listen to that answer, and that's all scriptures. Listen to this again. I believe the Son of God, through His Spirit and Word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, and preserves for Himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. And of this community, I am and always will be a living member. Question 55. Well, what do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers, one and all, as members of this community, share in Christ and in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that each member should consider it a duty to use these gifts readily and joyfully for the service and the enrichment of the other members. So the communion of the saints, the coming together. And we're utilizing, like I said, and I've, I've encouraged you, as a scripture encourages us, that the Holy Spirit distributes gifts amongst us. And your gift should be utilized. And if you're not utilizing your gift, if you don't know your gift, I'm not sure what you're waiting for. Because that means you're not being productive. So I'll say it again, as I always say it, if you truly don't understand the concept of spiritual gifts, if you're unsure of, I don't know what I've been given, well then would you call me and set up a time that we can sit down and walk through it? It's actually quite simple. It's not mysterious. It's not hidden. It's actually there. It's been with you since the beginning. Don't forget, the Bible tells us that God prepared good works for you to do before He placed you in your mother's womb. There's good works that you should be producing in your life now as a believer. And so I just want to encourage you in that. And then finally... What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? Well, I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no longer remember any of my sins or my sinful nature, which I need to struggle against all my life. Rather, by grace, God grants me the righteousness of Christ to free me forever from judgment. It's not your righteousness it's Christ's righteousness. That's why this can't be religion, you all. That's why it's not about up and down doing all the, the work. Christ has completed it. And so we take upon His righteousness. And in that, we are free. We are free people. I mean, that's the great news that we have to share with people. So you all to know these answers. I don't know if people will come up to you and give you word by word the question, but people do ask similar questions. And you should be able to give them an answer. You should be able to have a, a, a knowledge, and that's what you're growing in. 
Again, it's not a burden to learn. It's not a burden to live a Christian life. If, again, if your Christian life is burdensome, then it's not a Christian life. It's a religious life. And it's tiring. It is exhausting to be religious. <laughs> but the freedom comes when you recognize that Jesus, you did it all. You did it all. You've liberated me. Like, wow. Like the good news that Christ, Jesus, is Lord. And He, and only He, only Him, He, He completed everything. That's right at the cross when He says, It is finished. Mankind now, the created now, has the opportunity to be free. We're no longer shackled to sin. Sin is no longer our master. Again, back in Genesis, sin crouches at your door and its desire is to master you, but you must master it. I want us to go to 1 Kings. We're not going to read both chapters today. But I do want to talk about these chapters, and I want to get to the end of chapter 21. If you haven't read chapter 20 and 21, I would encourage you. That's why I send the scriptures out before our Sundays to have you go in and read and begin to study up on as we're entering in. But King Ahab is a very wicked man, and don't forget his wife Jezebel. She's a wicked woman. She is a controlling woman. King Ahab is actually a very weak man. Very weak man. He is controlled and dominated by his wife. And that is out of order for how God designed marriage. Jezebel is running it all. (laughs) But we see in chapter 20 and 21 of 1 Kings, just going to kind of briefly walk through it again. I'm not going to read word by word due to our time today. But I don't want to miss out on this lesson today. Again, Jezebel and King Ahab, influenced by Jezebel, has led Israel to the worst idolatry ever in Israel. They have turned their backs on God. They are a wicked nation now. Israel, God's people. Though the nation that God pulled out, set out for himself, that the, they were to represent God to the other nations. <laughs> well, these kings decide to attack. And so this king comes and he demands from King Ahab, Give me your children and your wives. King Ahab cowers down and and begins to to kind of say, kind of submit himself to this other king. Well, that king wanted more from Ahab, and he basically said, I'm coming in and I'm going to take it all from you, but I don't think you gave me everything I've asked for. And so then King Ahab goes to his advisors and they're like, No, wait a minute. (laughs) So King Ahab puts up a front. 
Well, anyways, what's incredible, if you read through this, because again, why do you need the Old Testament? Because it foreshadows Christ. (laughs) You really get to understand the character of God all through Scripture. But there's something about the Old Testament that gives you this incredible, beautiful illustration of the character of God. And what you see here is that it's not anything of King Ahab, because we already know he's wicked. It's not even Israel, because we already know they're wicked. But God is faithful to himself, to his word, to what he has already established, what he has already set forth, he's faithful to. So God shows up on the scene and basically destroys the other kings, and the armies. King Ahab, instead of killing the king, the other king, he invites him up into his chariot. And back in that time, I was studying how wars take place. If a king conquered another king, and he would tie him up to his chariot, and the king would have to be running alongside or dragged, King Ahab invited the other king. He calls him brother. He sees him as an equal. But God told Ahab to kill him, to wipe him out. But Ahab made a treaty with him. So again, God gave the victory to King Ahab and to Israel not because of them, but for his name's sake. God will always honor his name. I want you to go to twenty verse chapter twenty verse thirty five. I got you up. Everything I just shared got us up to this point. Again, God is not happy that Ahab is disobedient. Meanwhile, the Lord instructed one of the group of prophets to say to another man, hit me. Well, let me back up. Let me get you back. Go to verse... Let's go to verse 32. So they put on a burlap and ropes. This is the king and the, the, the king that has basically surrendered now to Ahab. And they went to the king of Israel and begged, Your servant Ben-Hadan says, Please let me live. The king of Israel responded, Is he still alive? Listen now, Ahab responds about this enemy that God told him to do away with. He's my brother. The men took this as a good sign, and they quickly picked up on his words. Yes, they said, your brother Ben-Hadon. Go and and get him, the king of Israel told them. And when Ben-Hadon arrived, Ahab invited him up into his chariot. (laughs) Ben-Hadon told him, I will give back the towns my father took from your father. You may establish places of trade in Damascus as my father did in Samaria. Then Ahab said, I will release you under these conditions. 
So they made a treaty and Ben Hadden was set free. Meanwhile, the Lord instructed one of the group of prophets to say to another man, hit me. But the man refused to hit the prophet. Then the prophet told him, because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, a lion will kill you as soon as you leave me. And when he had gone, a lion did attack him and kill him. Then the prophet turned to another man and said, hit me. So he struck the prophet and wounded him. The prophet placed a bandage over his eyes to disguise himself and then waited beside the road for the king. He's waiting for King Ahab. As the king passed by, the prophet called out to him, Sir, I was in the thick of a battle, and suddenly a man brought me a prisoner. He said, Guard this man. It, guard this man. If for any reason he gets away, you will either die or pay a fine of 75 pounds of silver. But while I was busy doing something else, the prisoner disappeared. Well, it's your own fault, the king replied. You have brought the judgment on yourself. Then the prophet quickly pulled the bandage from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. The prophet said to him, This is what the Lord says, because you have spared the man I sent I said, must be destroyed. Now you must die in his place. And your people will die instead of his people. So the king of Israel went home to Samaria, to Samaria angry and sullen. He was very sad. He was mad. <laughs> Chapter 21. Now there was a man named Naboth from Jezreel who owned a vineyard in Jezreel beside the place of King Ahab of Samaria. And then the story goes on. It is written here for a give us an understanding. Ahab wanted that vineyard. Ahab went to Naboth and told him, asked him, give me this and I'll give you this. Naboth was like, no. This land was given to us as an inheritance from the Lord. Well, King Ahab, the weak little man that he is, was all sad and depressed and so he goes home, and he's laying up, all sad and depressed, and guess who comes in? Jezebel. What's wrong with you? She says. He tells her, she tells him, get up, basically, stop acting like this, and she'll take care of it. And she did. She called the entire community to, to do this fast, and she told the, the people to put Naboth at the place and they surround him by two scoundrels two guys who were going to lie on him and his character so these men did and he was killed and Jezebel goes back to King Ahab and says the land is yours he's dead so then we pick up <laughs> Verse 15 of 21. When Jezebel heard the news, she said to Ahab, You know the vineyard Naboth wouldn't sell you? Well, you can have it now. He's dead. So Ahab immediately went down to the vineyard Naboth to claim it. But the Lord said to Elijah, Go down to meet King Ahab of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He will be at Naboth's vineyard in Jezreel, claiming it for himself. Give him this message. This is what the Lord said. Wasn't it enough you kill Naboth, but you must rob him too? 
because you have done this, dogs will lick your blood at the very place where they licked the blood of Nebal. So my enemy, you have found me, Ahab exclaimed to Elijah. Yes, Elijah answered. I have come because you have sold yourself to what is evil in the Lord's sight. So now the Lord says, I will bring disaster on you and consume you. I will destroy every one of your male descendants, slave and free alike, anywhere in Israel. I'm going to destroy your family as I did the family of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, and the family of Basha, son of Aijah. For you have made me very angry and have led Israel into sin. And regarding Jezebel, the Lord says, Dogs will eat Jezebel's body at the plot of the land in Jezreel. The members of Ahab's family who die in the city will be eaten by dogs, and those who die in the field will be eaten by vultures. No one else so completely sold himself to what is evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab did under the influence of his wife Jezebel. His worst outrage was worshiping idols just as the Amorites had done, the people whom the Lord had driven out from the land ahead of the Israelites. But when Ahab heard this message, and this is why I didn't want to miss this today, he tore his clothing, dressed in burlap, and fasted. He even slept in burlap and went about in deep mourning. Then another message from the Lord came to Elijah. Hear this, you all. Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has done this, I will not do what I promised during his lifetime. It will happen to his sons. I will destroy his dynasty. God already knew the hearts of the men that were coming up behind Ahab. But I don't want you to miss out on how quick God turns to those who repent. God didn't take the consequences off of Ahab, but God spared Ahab. And God saw how Ahab, this wicked, vile king... See, no one is beyond God's reach, you all. No one is beyond God's reach. doesn't matter how wicked and vile. None of us have been as wicked and vile as Ahab. But here he was. He humbled himself. And God spared him. Ultimately, death is coming to him. But in that moment, God responded in mercy. He's a merciful God. He's a merciful God. I wanted you to see today how quick he responds to us when we would just humble ourselves. No one's too far gone, you all. Pray. Pray that they would be humbled. Pray that God will intervene. That laborers will come along their path. That would proclaim the good news of the Lord. That the seed would be sown and that the Holy Spirit would harvest it. See how quick God turned. As soon as Ahab humbled himself. Go to Acts chapter 12. We're wrapping up. These next few scriptures are short. Acts chapter 12, verse 24. 
And then we're going through verse 15 of chapter 13. Remember, Peter was just released. Paul and Barnabas and Paul, or at that time when we left off, Saul, they were about their father's business, spreading the good news. And so we pick up in verse 24. Meanwhile, all right, the word of God continued to spread, and there were many new believers. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission in Jerusalem, they returned, taking John Mark with them. Verse 13. And I'm going to stop at verse 20. Please don't, for, I mean, 24. Please don't miss that. While all this stuff was going on, remember King Herod, King Herod died, Agrippa died. The church is being persecuted. The, the disciples and the Christians are being scattered, and we open up with today. Meanwhile, <laughs> the word of God continued to spread, and there were many new believers. Remember even when we read Jesus' word, when Jesus is telling us about the last days, and he gives us this horrific account of what's coming. But then he ends it and he says, but my gospel will be spread throughout the earth. You see, it doesn't matter what is going on. The good news will continue to go forth. Verse Chapter 13, verse 1. Among the prophets and teachers of the church in Antioch of Samaria were Barnabas, Simon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manum, the childhood companion of King Herod of Antipas, and Saul. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed from the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He had attached himself, oh God, hear this, to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Saul, also known as Paul, and this from here on, we'll never hear Saul again, we will only hear Paul. So this is when the transition changes to Paul. was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. Then he said, You son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that is good, Will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time, and instantly 
Mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Paul and his companions then left Patmos by ship, landing at the port town of Perga. There John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas traveled island, I'm sorry, inland to Antioch. On the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue for the services. After the unusual, I'm sorry, after the usual readings from the book of Moses, the prophets, those in charge of the service, sent them this message. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. And that's where we'll stop there today. God is moving. And I love the way God had Paul deal with this evil man influenced by Satan to keep the governor enslaved to evil. I just think it's awesome that this governor had a desire to know. It always happens. People have a desire. God begins this work. The enemy is just not going to back away. The enemy may even begin to surround individuals maybe you're praying for. Maybe you're seeing, have an awakening. All of a sudden, someone new is introduced to their life. See, we got to get beyond just looking at the flesh. we got to understand the principalities and the rulers in the air of the darkness that we're contending with. We're not contending with the people. So you better be growing in your prayer life. You better understand spiritual warfare. You better begin to understand how to target as the Holy Spirit's giving you insight and discernment on how to pray for people. Because the enemy will be quick to station people all around and introduce. And the enemy was quick to lay this false prophet in relationship with his governor. But God broke through, as he always will, because he's faithful. Go to Psalm 137. Just nine verses there. We're getting, we're closing. Psalm 137. As you go to read this psalm, the Israelites, you have to understand, have been taken captive. They're prisoners now. They're being mocked. Their children have been killed. Their wives have been killed. The, the slaughter that has taken place. And now they're slaves. And this is where this psalm is birthed. Beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of the poplar trees. For our captors demanded a song from us. They were mocking them. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? Oh, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget how to play the harp. May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I fail to remember you, if I do not make Jerusalem my greatest joy. O Lord, remember what the Edomites did on the day the armies of Babylon captured Jerusalem. Destroy it, they yelled. Level it to the ground. 
O Babylon, you will be destroyed. Happy is the one who pays you back for what you have done to us. And happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against the rocks. What a song. What a song. But even in the midst of it, God is remembered. And God is the focus. God will, in the end, avenge those who have been against Him. Proverbs, one nugget of wisdom. Proverbs 17, verse 16. It is senseless to pay tuition to educate a fool since he has no heart for learning. I'm going to close this with this last song of worship and then I'll close this in prayer. Oh, you are.
Trust.